Hey, welcome. This is Pastor Tyler Whitcomb. I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Fos Church, we are so glad that you're checking out the Fos Church podcast. At Fos, we believe in the authority of God's Word and the ability it has through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of mankind and to mold and shape its readers into the image of Christ. And so we pray that these messages would do just that, that you would hear God's word and be changed by it. Lastly, our encouragement is, if you do not belong to a local Bible-believing church, that you would do so, because a podcast will never allow you to serve the purpose that God has called you into belonging to the church. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be in the house of the Lord with you all. We are no longer in First Peter. We finished that last week. I didn't get to the final greetings. Peter signs off. Um, so that, there's that message for you. Uh, and next week, we have um, Joe Savali. Some of you I know know Joe. Uh, but Joe is the director for an organization called Love for a Child, uh, which partners with the foster care um, services throughout Michigan. And uh, Joe's ministry puts on a camp uh, for, for foster care as well as uh, mentorship that follows kid, uh, kids from home to home. And uh, just a really interesting, beautiful organization. And Joe's going to come and share a message next week from God's Word, but also share uh, about the great need that is foster care here in the state of Michigan. So you won't want to miss next week. And it's the reason why I didn't start a series this week. Like, you don't just pause week two. So uh, I, I have an opportunity to just do a one-off message this morning. Um, and I just said, man, the last few weeks, um, Karen and I were at dinner with uh, a couple, um, Allison and, and uh, Joe, Jim, sorry, I, I'm like Allison and Jim, uh, on what day was that, Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, and <laughs> it's been a week, um, so we, we had dinner with Allison and Jim, and while uh, we were there, I think the phrase was the last few weeks from First Peter have been a beat down, um, right? Where people leave and it's just like, wow, that was heavy. Um, and sometimes the word of God, you got to feel that weight, you know, you just got to. Uh, but I, I wanted to maybe come this morning on a little bit of a lighter note, um, then it's all going to be bad. Uh, so this week, uh, I just got to be able to preach whatever was on my heart. And um, so I titled this sermon this week, um, not just another bum from the neighborhood. Um, and I, I know interesting, but it, it means something. So I like to believe that I grew up in a house that got a good education of movies. My dad loved putting good films in front of us. One of which, where this line is from, is from the, the Rocky movies. Anybody, Rocky fans, anyone? Well, it was Rocky 1, 1976. Uh, and, and those movies took the world by storm when they came out in the 70s and the 80s. And uh, people, people love them. They still love them, right? Because that was really interesting about my childhood was my dad put these old movies in front of us. And then more and more of them still came out as I was getting older because Sylvester Stallone was still taking HGH and didn't want the world to believe that he was in his 70s, but he is. Um, 
And, and the more and more those films came out, the more and more cringy they became. You know, because it's like, okay, Stallone, like, put your shirt back on. This is just not a good look for you. Uh, but but those, those movies still came out. But the first one, 1976, it had three Academy Awards, one of which was Best Picture. Uh, the, the, mo- the movie was a box office hit, $225 million worldwide made, uh, with a budget that was less than a million dollars. It catapulted Stallone into stardom. Right? He, he became a, a movie star from that, from that series. And uh, I, I think if, you, if you're not familiar with the movie, there's this guy, Rocky, played by Sylvester Stallone, and he's just this kind of nobody getting around town. He's not even that great of a boxer, but he's got a lot of heart. He's not super skilled, but he can, you know, he can, take, it. He can take it and keep going back. And um, it was about the American dream because there was the champion, Apollo Creed, and Creed says, you know what, I want to give a nobody a shot. And he's like, you know, only in America. And so that was the, the, the film. Stallone, Rocky's character, gets chosen to be the guy that's going to fight for the heavyweight champion of the world. And they follow him along throughout his interesting training, right? He's running through the suburbs of Philadelphia. He's running up the stairs, and uh, he's, he's punching raw meat. And, and then yet, there was also a love story going on between him and... Yo, Adrian. Um, and, um, that, that line became iconic, right? The, the most iconic of it was when he says, Yo, Adrian, I did it. Right? You remember that line? If you didn't see the movie, you're probably saying, what did Rocky do? Right? And he's like, yo, Adrian, I did it. What did he accomplish? The day before the fight, the big championship fight, he's walking around and he talks with, with, with Adrian and he says, if at the end that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'll know I wasn't just another bum from the neighborhood. And, and I think that resonates with the human experience because all of us, intrinsically, there's something with us that says there's something more. There's something more than the mundane of my life. There's something more than this nine to five job that I go to. And we like to believe that there's this value beyond just what we look at in the mirror. Like we, we believe there's something more important to just this physical world, right? And, and that's, actually, that's actually a point of apologetics. C.S. Lewis wrote that in his book, Mere Christianity, that, that, that if, I, if, I, if I experience the highest highs of this world, if I could, if I could you know, get to the highest heights, if I could get to the deepest depths, but nothing truly satisfies my soul, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's what Lewis wrote. I think we all experience that to some level, man. It's why we cling to the American dream. It's why we see that there's, there's something else that's going to be there. There's something beyond what I'm experiencing right now, right? And so um, in Psalm 139, the author, David, taps into that. He begins to tap into the imagio Dei, the, the image of God that you've been made in the image of God, and because of that, you have inherent, intrinsic, infinite value because God's image has been placed on you. And, 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 you know, you may be sitting in here and you say, hey, you know what? I've always heard that, you know, because I'm a Christian, because I'm made in the image of God, I have value, and God has a plan for my life, and that sounds amazing until I look at how my life is unfolded. 
All right, you look at the events that have happened, the circumstances that you're in, the difficulties, hardships, and, and life is kind of, kind of messy. And you know, maybe you say, ah, I'm having a hard time believing that. I'm having a hard time believing that. I think what, what David would do in Psalm 139 is to just reorient your focus and how you see and view yourself opposed to your circumstances. Um, because David's gonna show us that, yes, You've been made in the image of God, and if you don't get that, life is going to be hard. Author Rick Warren, in his famous book, Purpose Driven Life, Rick says this, you were made by God and for God, and until you know that, life will never make sense. I heard this this week, um, I had a meeting with our regional director uh, for our, 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 our denomination, and we were sitting down, we were meeting, and, and he said, a fish was made to live in the water, and if you pull that fish out of the water, the fish dies. A tree was made to live in soil, and if you pull that tree out of the soil, the tree will die. And God was God. God is intended to live in mankind, and when you take God out of mankind, man doesn't live. Right? That that, that if you take God outside of us. Break us apart from our image. There, there's no life there, but but for believers in Jesus Christ, we're, we're promised. There's promises that, that, that we're going to have life and life more abundantly. But that's only experienced in the person of Jesus. That when you die to yourself and you live for Christ and you get that new life that's promised in the Word of God, then you experience life. Then you experience the abundant life and you see that God does have plans for you and again we but we wrestle with that we wrestle am I am I special um does God have a plan for me do I matter and Psalm 139 is going to tell you you matter God has plans for you God has a purpose for your life and he's willing to pursue you to no end so um, it's going to be up on the screen, but, but Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. And so what do these six verses just teach us? That God has taken an interest in you. God has taken an interest in you. Do you see that in the text? It says that he knows when you sit down and rise up. He knows your activity. He knows your thoughts from afar. Even those little faint things that come into your mind every once in a while and then you think, whoo, like where did that come from? God knew that. God knew that, that that came into your mind. He, he knows your thoughts. It says that he knows where, um, it says that he knows your path. He, he knows uh, where you'll wind up lying down. That means he knows where you're at in life and he knows where you're going and what you're gonna get to. Like God is very familiarized with your story. And it says that he's become acquainted with all of your ways. Those little fidgety things you do. Like, 
cracking your knuckles. Like, he knows this about me. You know, some of you like to scratch your brain, right? Like, like he, he's became, become acquainted with all of your ways. He knows the things you're going to say. And this could seem like an exaggerated point. Like, okay, God knows me, but what, like, why go to these great lengths of saying all these really intricate ways that he knows us? Because it's, just, it's not just that he knows you, but that he's become, he's become interested in you, your life, your story, the things that are happening. And that maybe doesn't think about, we don't maybe think of a whole lot about that until we sit down and truly think about it. Because a lot of us, we give an appearance to the outside world. Um, Dr. Scott Engelman would say, this is your front stage. The, you have a front stage that you allow the rest of the world to see. Right? And you get to control that. See none clearer than Facebook, Instagram, social media. Right? You get to give a display of what life is actually like for you. But you determine how it looks. And so that means you don't have to let people in on the, the crevices of life, the, the secrets, the things that you don't really want anybody else to know about. Because if everybody else knew about it, well, guess what? They might not like you. They may not want to be around you. They may not love you, right? And so you get to control that. And so here, David's starting off Psalm 139 and saying, hey, God knows you intricately. I mean, he, he knows those thoughts. He knows where you're going. He knows the things that are going to come out of your mouth. Um, David wants you to know that, and he starts off that way because it's a really beautiful thing because you cannot be fully loved without being fully known, right? Before you can believe that God fully loves you, you need to believe that he fully knows you because you cannot love something fully that you don't know fully. I'm gonna give you an example. My wife and I are doing things to our condo to increase its value and just because it's okay, we're gonna be here for a little while, why not enjoy where we're living? So one of the things that she has said was, well, couldn't we get a new countertop? Actually, I think initially it was my idea. Um, she piggybacked off of it. But I had an expectation of what we were going to spend on it. Um, and my expectation very much failed of what counter, granite countertops actually cost. And so um, she sh we, we go to Home Depot. She says, hey, what about this one? And I'm like... That looks great. That looks amazing. I love it. But I don't know fully yet. So we go and sit down. We sit down with the woman that's going to give us our full quote, and we're, we're customizing it, right? And then she says, okay, well, it's going to be in the thousands of dollars. And I'm like, I don't love this anymore, <laughs> right? Like, I don't love that counter anymore. Why? Because now I have a full scope of what that counter actually is, right? I, I, I know the cost now. And what David is trying to get you to see at the very beginning of Psalm 139 is that God is taking the bill that is your life, all the dirtiness, all the messiness, every bit of you, and he looks it down, itemized receipt. He's not missing anything. He knows everything about you that he is paying, going to pay for. Right? And, and so he's not missing anything, and it's, it's better for you to know that. Right, it's not like Jesus is getting up into the cross and you're like, oh, wait, wait, there was a bunch more on my receipt. No, 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 in the New Testament, when Jesus is getting to the cross, he knows exactly how broken you are and yet God is still saying, yes, I'm sending my son to die for those people. 
Those people are people like you and I that, 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 are, that are willing to, to lay down and say, okay, Lord, save me from my sin. Save me from my brokenness. Save me from it all. Right? And so we're, 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 there's something really beautiful that David does let you know that God knows you fully, intricately, so that you can know fully what God is paying for. David acknowledges that God knows us to a, a different degree. And that could sound scary to some of us. I think it sounded scary for David because look what he writes next as we continue on. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Look at what David's response is to God, knowing you intricately, fully. He says, where could I run? Where, where can I hide? Where shall I go from your spirit? Like David has a fear of total exposure at this moment that God just knows me fully. Okay, okay, is there some sort of like retreat that I can go on geographically, spiritually, where, where, where I can hide? I mean, how many of us would think that could be awesome if you could just hide from God? Right? Like, hey, there's just things about me. Like, hey, I got, God, if you didn't know that, that would be cool. Like, you'd probably love me more if you didn't know that about me. But, but God does not let him run away. I've always found this imaging so beautiful when David says, even if I make my bed in Sheol, you'll be there. That word Sheol means it's a place of the dead, but it's even got a broader term. It's, a, it's, the, it's the common word used for eternal punishment. And so what David is saying, I go to the, the vilest of places and you'll pursue me there. You'll pursue me there. There's not a place that you aren't willing to run or go to to find me, to pursue me, to care for me. And what that tells me is that, that you aren't too broken, you aren't too messy, and that, that, yes, there is not a place on earth that God isn't willing to pursue people. God is willing to pursue drug houses. God is willing to pursue LGBTQ rallies. God is willing to pursue strip clubs. God is willing to pursue churches. Because Lord knows this place is full, full of broken people. And if we aren't careful, we will treat God's harvest field like it's a small fenced-in backyard. But the reality is the field is vast and it's everywhere. Where is God looking to save people? The four corners of the world. Oh, wait, are you saying the earth is flat? No. North, south, east, and west. God's willing to go every which way for people. David says, I've tried to retreat and there seems to be nowhere to run. In verse 10 says, even when you find me there, though, when God shows up to the dark places of the world to find people, what does he do? What, is this? what does verse 10 say? Look, he says, you hold me. You hold me. You found me. And because you found me in this dirty place, it didn't disqualify your love for me. David continues and says, surely I thought the darkness would have made it so you wanted nothing to do with me. And yet, Darkness, verse 12, darkness is as light to you. 
It's like, God, David's saying, like, where you have to go doesn't compare to what you are after. Where God is willing to go doesn't compare to what he is after. You aren't too broken. You aren't too messed up for God's relentless pursuit. And so what, up until this point, what our text has showed us is that God knows you. And in spite of everything he knows, he's willing to pursue you to no end. And so let's back back at our text. It keeps getting better. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Like, like why does God go to such a degree to chase and pursue broken people like us? Because the word of God would compel us and tell us that he made you. That even in your mother's womb, right, you, you could have a 3D sonogram, you could see your baby growing, and what you can know when you see that is that God is at work. That he is weaving things together. Back in 1993 when I was being conceived, it was as if God was in there working and saying, this guy needs a little bit more vocal cords because he's going to have to belt it at times. We're going to give him a little bit of personality. It might be a little bit not great for a pastor, but um, we're going to give it to him anyways and see what, we, what, what happens, right? No, no, you know, I, I like to step on the lines at times, but... But you can look at all of you and what you get to know is that God has designed you. God has designed you. It was him at work in the womb, right? And and so, yeah, we we at Foster Church have stood and and are unashamed that that we believe life starts in the womb at conception. I think the word of God bids us to believe that. God made you. He's willing to pursue you. There was a book I was reading on Audible recently uh, called The Four. The Four was a book that uh, examined Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Google. And, you know, these are these monstrous companies, right? And Scott Galloway, the author, not a Christian, New York University professor, um, did, a, did an in-depth look at, at you know, these, these companies and then how, how can anyone beat them essentially at their game? Or, or have they created such a monopoly at this point that they're, they're unbeatable? Now, he went through one by one, and actually the only one that he really does truly foresee making the next century is Apple. And just how Apple has, has been able to take that technology um, and, and continue to, to continue their brand, right? And you look back at the, the computer uh, that they had started, but ultimately they went to a, a little thing that could listen to your music all the time, and then they took your, your phone, and then they took your, your computer on the go, then you had a tablet, then you have a watch. Like, um, and, and ultimately what Apple's aim was to do was to be able to take their product and make it a status symbol that you could walk with that meant you were a somebody. I have Apple, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged, right? And so it, it, was, a, it was a symbol that, that signaled to people you were somebody special. Um, but he, Scott Galloway said that when you look at legendary brands, 
brands that supersede centuries. He said there's about five pillars you can take from them that they're all the same. Um, one of which is a uh, premium price, right? You're not buying Apple cheaply. It's gonna cost you to have Apple. Um, and then a prolific founder was a second point. And when you think about the human life, it has both of those things. It has a prolific founder and a premium price. And so if you're debating your value, if you're debating your, debating your worth, and well, ask yourselves, who made you? Who made you? Who formed you? Who designed you? Well, God. And then what price, what price tag do you carry? The life of Jesus. Right? That Jesus would give his life to purchase you back to God. Where, where we look at you know, God is supposed to live inside of you or man dies. Jesus made a way for God to come back inside of you. To take residence in you. To have life in you. To lead you to the fullness of life. Right? We see that in the promises of scripture. Right? The, 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 the Holy Spirit can come and take residence in you. And it's not just that God just made you, but also look at verse 16. Check this out. This is amazing. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. David says, hey, when I was just that clump of cells, right, that, that unformed substance, this clump of cells that people say doesn't really matter, hey, you saw a plan for my life. You saw days before they were there. You, you, saw, you saw me. That's what he says. He says, you saw me when I was just this unformed substance. And so, man, when we're, we're talking about life and we're talking about the value of life and, and you know, that's a debate in culture. The question becomes, what does God think about that? What does God think about that, that unformed substance? Well, the word of God would tell me that God sees it. He sees the person. He sees the days. He sees the plans. There's, there's immense value there. And so what that tells me is that your life isn't a waste. Your life isn't a waste that God wants to usher in his goodness through your life. And again, you know, I think it's so easy for us to experience the brokenness of the world, the hardness of life, and we begin to say, okay, that all sounds so well and good, but I have a hard time picturing all that to actually be true. I have a visual for you. Um, in my hand is a Ceno. I'm thinking, okay, you're a pastor. What bank did you rob? Um, but I have a Ceno here. And what would happen if I did this? People might not want this anymore, right? Karen, guard that with your life. <laughs> because <laughs> I could say, hey, listen, first one to get that gets to have it, right? My guess would be there would be a bunch, people would not care anymore that that $100 crinkled up, wrinkled, and tainted now, so to speak. Right? You'd say that still has the buying power of a $100 bill. I could still take that. That still carries the same value, whether crisp or wrinkled. 
and you go through the brokenness and the hardship of life, and you know what? You might get crinkled up in the process. You might experience things you never wanted to experience. You might have had parents say things to you that you wish you could unhear. Or maybe there were things you wanted your parent to say and they never said it. And you really begin to say, hey, am I just this wadded up, $100 bill, right? Like, am I just this, am I not beautiful? Am I not valuable? And those things don't dictate your value. And guess what? Some of us, if we're not careful, will fall into religious elitism. And what we'll do is we'll try to make sure our bill is crisp and clean, and it looks perfect, and it looks like it was just fresh off the press. Well, guess what? Money's one of the most dirty things in the world. You, you could have that, that crisp look and still be dirty, and God still wants it. God still wants it. Whether you think you're religious and hyper-spiritual, and I'm just this clean person who does nothing wrong, and I have an amazing quiet time, and I do all the things, and I check all the boxes. Guess what? God still wants you because you need him. And you might be that person that says, hey, I have a past, I have brokenness, I have shame, and I have guilt, and I have things that think that would question if I'm valuable or important or do I matter, and God would say, I want you despite everything that I know about you. And that's the beauty of the cross. That if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and for you it's, I've done this, I've done that. If God knew everything, he does know. If he knew everything, he, he wouldn't want me. He wants you and he proved it because he went to the cross and he died for you. And when, 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 when Jesus is with his disciples right before the, the crucifixion is gonna take place, he breaks bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. That word you is singular. It's singular. What he's pointing at is I would do this for one person if that's all that would do it. If that's all that would take it. And so if you were here this morning and say, hey, I want so badly to know him, well, he's made an invitation for you. That if you were to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you would be saved. There's no magical words, but an honest confession of the heart. That Lord, I make you Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you into the fullness of life. That's made available today. Today, if you have never have, don't leave here without doing that. Talk to me, talk to somebody else, the person you came with, but let's make that decision today. Let me pray for us.